Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. On the Postgraduate Pharmacist, we focus on preparing and obtaining postgraduate training positions. From current events to expert advice, you'll have up-to-date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And don't forget to separate and stand out. It's great to be back after our short break. We really miss doing this. Sean, I was starting to have some withdrawal, so I'm really excited because I'm ready to get a bolus of some of this new content that we're bringing. (laughs) I love the pharmacy lingo there. So yeah, I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped about a lot of new features we're releasing too, which was great. The break allowed us to do that, get those things ready. So the biggest one is going to be our own website. Now, I know we've mentioned it before. We have a website, but it's more just a landing page for you to listen to the podcast on there. So we're revamping the whole thing. It's going to have a lot of new features on it, and it's going to be more than just a place you can go and listen to our episodes. So the new website, which will be postgraduatepharmacist.com, all one word, will soon have tons of new features like our blog, which will sometimes do deeper dives into the episodes that we release. Other times we will just talk about different topics. It'll be a, a written format so you can go and read it and look at stuff. We'll have links on there, but it'll just give you some more insider information, some more stuff to help you separate and stand out. Yeah, and we'll also have ways to access our templates and guidance documents to help keep you organized, additional content from our episodes and discussion groups, and just lots more in the pipeline that we've got ideas about. Yeah, the other thing I want to mention is that Despite us being faculty members, we don't receive funding from our university to produce this podcast. So the Postgraduate Pharmacist is just a passion project. It's 100% us just purely loving talking about postgraduate prep and helping our listeners get that unique edge in this competitive market. If you feel like we've helped you or you just want to be part of the separate and standout movement, you can now support us through a variety of different ways. We've dropped a line of merch that you can get through our website or link in in the show notes below. Starting today, for a limited time, this is exciting, drumroll Taylor, if you use promo code SASO, which is S-A-S-O at checkout, you get free shipping on all of our hand-designed postgraduate pharmacist t-shirts. So definitely check that out. It was fun to make that. But if you're not a fan of clothing and... (laughs) Uh, want to take that sigh of relief knowing we are fully caffeinated while we're recording our episodes, just buy us a cup of coffee. You can do so by clicking the buy me a cup of coffee button on our website. And probably the thing I'm most excited about is behind the scenes additional content on our episodes that we record. Get extra discussion points with our guests that we just cannot fit in the main episode due to time. Also get our fact check and additional insights after talking to our guests where we go through and look up the stuff we thought we knew during the episode and really give you the insights on that. So this will be available to our Patreon supporters, but we're giving away one year a free access to five listeners who are determined to separate and stand out. So to get this free access, you know, we have uh, info below in the show notes, but just follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist. Look for our promotional tweet and just like 
quote tweet using the hashtag SASO, SASO. All right, well, let's talk about everything related to the match. I know all of you, all of our listeners have been extremely busy and stressed out this last month or two, and you know, hopefully interview season is coming to a wrap. Sean, we talked about this in our last episode. There has been changes to the match timeline. It now occurs in the middle of the week versus historically being on a Friday. I want to go into that timeline, talk about the implications, and maybe give some additional perspective, and then go over the candidate's chance of matching. So this episode releases on the 28th. So there's been a couple deadlines that have already passed, the most recent being Phase 1 rankings opening on the 14th. So if you're in interview season right now, you've probably already had a couple interviews or had communications about interviews. That should have been wrapped up, and it's now this time to submit that rank order list. If you want insights on how to handle that, the stress of that, and everything that's involved with making that super difficult decision, also check out our last episode where we do the mental health in the match. So the next deadline is the March 3rd applicant register deadline for phase one. So the next deadline is March 3rd, where you can register for the match. So if you got interviews, absolutely get on there and register for the match so you don't miss out on your chance to rank programs. But the next day, March 4th, is when the Phase 1 rank order list deadline is due, and that's 11.59 p.m. Eastern time. So this weekend is really your last weekend to sit down and go through all your rankings and, and put those together. And then after that, a few weeks later, only 12 days... Phase one match results are going to be released to candidates. And I always get asked, what time of day am I going to hear about this? Usually that's going to be first thing in the morning. So usually if you're on rotation, you'll get an email either prior to or right when you arrive to rotation. For me, that email came, I believe, at about 7 central time, Mm -hmm. back whenever I was applying. What about you, Sean? I was in Eastern time zone, so it was like 8.01, I believe, is the timestamp on that email. Yeah, right there at the at the 8 a.m. Eastern time. Yeah, so look for results pretty early in the morning. I know everybody talks about you know refreshing their email until they get that email from the matching service, so just kind of be on the lookout of that. But I think what's more just stands out more, and we've, we kind of mentioned it, was that that day instead of falling on a Friday, now falls on a Wednesday. So, Sean, what do you you think that means to applicants or to anybody involved in this process? Well, that's what I wanted. I'm glad you brought that up because since we mentioned it in that last episode, I was going to see if you heard any additional things from students on their perceptions of that now that that's more on the forefront of everyone's mind. Since you asked me first, what I think about it is it's interesting in the fact that it's falling in the middle of the week. I know I'm not a fan of that. I I think that's going to make it more difficult on students because it doesn't it no longer gives them that weekend right after or just that dedicated time off to process things. So now they're they're trying to process something in the middle of the week, which is I think highly stressful, but I I'm not sure their thoughts on behind it. Why do you, why do you think they made that decision? So my thought about that after reading a little bit more into it and and kind of thinking about the implications. So you can probably imagine after that phase one results come out, 
typically on that Friday. Usually the following Monday is when applications are due for phase two, or you can start submitting applications and they can start reviewing them. So my thought is that they did this because they wanted to give some more time for those candidates to submit those applications. Now, so that can be viewed as a positive since applications for phase two, you can start submitting those March 21st, the following Monday, I believe. So I think that's a good thing. But like you said, sometimes, you know, it's nice to just not have to think about rotation during those those days leading up if you do receive bad news. So that's just going to have to be something that you work with your preceptors and, and talk with them about if you do get that news on that Wednesday and it may not be what you were hoping for and you plan on pursuing phase two. But at least now you'll have a little bit more time to, to work into that. Yeah, I agree, Taylor. I think uh, it gives them more time. It kind of makes sense. It gives them more time, especially to prepare their application. I would like to add, though, I think it gives them more time to also research the programs because there's over 100 programs to get released usually in phase two. And it's overwhelming to even begin to look at the programs to evaluate if it's a good fit. So I guess it's kind of nice to have those couple extra days to look at their websites, look at their program listings, look at the preceptors, previous residents, just get an idea of which ones you're, you, you like. Yeah. And I think so if I'm looking at it from a student perspective and my timeline of when I'm going to be doing these things, maybe Wednesday and Thursday after rotation, you know, you can pull up the list of programs and start just just looking through them, maybe evaluating them. And that's what you can do. And then over the weekend, that's when you can kind of start developing your application materials. So it gives you kind of a a nice segue into that rather than just trying to do it all at once, which is probably what was happening previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about um, the next kind of step in this process because it's all very, all happens very quickly as we've mentioned. But on March 21st, they say, that you can submit phase two applications starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time. There's no specification on when these applications are due, when to submit them by, and that's usually the case. Other than the fact that rank order lists for phase two are due on April 6th, so a few weeks later. So what would be your advice or what are you going to tell students and our listeners when should they submit these applications? Should they wait till the end of the week? Should they do it right away? What What do you think, Sean? I would say right away because you don't know this, but some programs might be operating on like a first come, first serve basis. Like as they come in, they review the applications or they'll review them in waves. So I would be, I would want to be one of the first ones to submit it or have it submitted to that program. So in case they are doing something where they, they just review them that day and then they send out invitations or, or invites for interview. You're on their reviewed list. That doesn't mean you're going to get something, but you're just you're just on their list. I wouldn't hesitate at all. I'd have that there because the last thing you want is to find out you submitted the next day just because you wanted to take a little extra time preparing your stuff or maybe you work that weekend and you find out you missed their their cry their cutoff for for investigating or evaluating candidates. 
I totally agree. And I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> so I'm glad you, I'm glad we're on the same page. Get those things in right when it opens. Mm-hmm. Don't wait till Wednesday, even. Some programs, you know, they'll, they'll review applications maybe for the first two days or so. But like you said, I think it's kind of a rolling application process in a sense. So they get these application notifications and they're going to look at you right then or they might at a set time during the day. So I would say the earlier you can do it, the better. Mm-hmm. Now, this might require some discussion if you're on rotation with your preceptor. Just let them know, hey, I'm, I'm participating in phase two. The applications are opening up at this time. Do you mind if I have an hour or two at the beginning to go ahead and submit my materials? It's all prepared and ready to go but I would just feel much better or reassured if I can fit those in or submit those when the application portal opens. Yeah, I like that. And then, of course, have that conversation with them about you could be getting interviews at any point in time and what what would be ideal and how can you work through that with being able to still Mm -hmm. do those interviews during those next two weeks. Because you got to think programs got to review applications set up some sort of interview. They might even do because mm-hmm. of the sheer number of applicants, pre-screenings and things like that. But then they've got to go all the way through interviews and then discussion and then do a whole new rank list in two weeks. Whereas we were talking about two months previously, right? So right. it's going to be highly, highly condensed. And I just want to back up a little bit. So you can start preparing these applications earlier. You just can't submit them until that deadline. So mm-hmm. It, it, it's just a matter of logging in and making sure everything is submitted to the correct place. So it, it shouldn't take a lot of extra time. Your letter writers would already know that you're applying again. So just make sure you're communicating with everybody at that point. And then so the, the next thing on the deadline is going to be, like you mentioned before, the phase two rank order list deadline on April the 6th. And then the results of phase two come out on April the 13th. And now April the 13th is another Wednesday. So this isn't, is, is this going to be the same as the previous Wednesday? Should they do the same thing if they're unsuccessful here and they want to continue to pursue? Yeah. So this is a, I think a little bit different than the phase two itself, but those programs are going to be available that still haven't matched. There's, it's usually a very small list at this point. But those will be available at 11 Central or 12 p.m. Eastern. And if you want to participate in that process, the post-match process is what it's called now. I'd say you need to just be on it right then. No waiting. You just have to have to have it ready to go. I'm always going to call it the scramble. I don't think I'll change. <laughs> <laughs> it holds a near and dear place. In near and dear place in my heart. So speaking of... You mentioned not a lot of programs. Let's let's segue over then to talk about their actual like the actual chances of all these different components happening. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good good discussion, and we've we've discussed this a little bit here and there on the different episodes. So go back and listen to those if you have any questions, and if you have any questions about how the match works and the the whole algorithm and everything check out our episode uh, in episode three where we discuss with jonah parenson on the matching algorithm and and the match itself so 
Mm-hmm. And he would know, right? Because he's the vice president of a, of the National Management Service. I, I would say he has a pretty good insight into how it works. He, Absolutely. He, we can trust what he says. Um, all right, great. So let's uh, let's look at this. So if you're curious where we are, you know, we'll put a link below, but we're in the ASHP National Matching Services website. We're in the match statistics, which you can get to by going over applic- going under the applicants tab or any of the tabs at the top and just clicking statistics. And so we're going to look at the 2021 because that's our most recent year. Like like Taylor was saying in other episodes, we we uh, go through like the history and some of the changes over time. But we're just going to kind of focus on like this last year and, and make and see what we think about that and what that's going to look like this year. So just kind of jumping right into it. It looks like there were seven thousand five hundred and twenty five applicants enrolled in the match. That's on the first line on that sheet. And then if you look down to the match results, you see there are 3,741 applicants who matched. So Sean, walk us through, what does that mean in terms like of your chances? Yeah. So chance wise, I, you know, we'll go, well, this is just phase one. So we'll talk about phase two combined in a little bit, but on paper that shows that you have about a 49, 50% chance of getting a match in phase one if you're enrolled in the match. And that's total number. That is including the 7,000, is including those that withdrew uh, and did not return any rankings. The, the raw number of those who actually participated as in they actually submitted rankings is a little bit less, about at 5,800. But we like to use the 7,525 because it encompasses a lot of students that probably didn't get interviews because students that don't get interviews or candidates that don't get interviews aren't going to rank programs. And they are competition because their applications are going through to the same places that you are. So we don't like to sugarcoat it, but it's not as high of a percentage as a lot of people might realize. Yeah, and but I, I do think you should feel a little bit reassured if you do make it to the point where you have you did get interviews and you have places to rank. You can look at that 5,800 or 5,900 mm-hmm. number and your your chances look at it like about 63, a little over 63%. Yep. Which is a little bit up from what it had been. It had been kind of on a steady decline. I think in 2020 it was was maybe... 60 percent 61 percent if mm-hmm. i'm not mistaken but yeah, it was going down it's usually in the low 60s mid 60s and that's kind of i think based on the trends we've seen over the last five years about what we can expect and but we know for a fact that not every one of these candidates is listening to this podcast so you're already at an advantage <laughs> absolutely we get this question a lot and we were talking about this before the show and you were telling this to me so i want to ask you this taylor when a, if a student's got interviews and they interviewed at several places, let's say, let's say they interviewed at uh, six or seven places and they're not feeling great about one or two of those choices. What should they, should they still rank that program? Like what should be going through their head? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I, I think you can approach this in a couple different ways. Now, if you have two programs and you don't feel the greatest about one of them, would you rather get a residency at this point or, or would you rather take that risk of not getting a residency? 
that's just something that you have to ask yourself. But if you look at the bottom and the, under the match results, there's actually, they break it down by match results by rank on the applicants list. And so if you look at the ranks there, over 2000 people get their first choice out of the people that do match. So, mm-hmm. which is about 57%. I was going to say that's, that's almost 60%. The next 873 what, what percentage is that? That's 23%, which gives you a combined 80% get their first yeah. or second rank. Yeah, so 80 per, just know that the first two places you rank, if you do end up matching, you're going to get one of those places. Now, it, it, and then it goes down from there, 365, which is about another 10%. So you're like at 90%, your top three choices. So if you have more than... Three or three choices or so, the likelihood of you ending up at a place if you if you do match beyond that that choice is is relatively low. So I would say, don't feel bad about leaving a place off the list if you're feeling really bad about it. You know, there's probably less than a five percent, probably even more as you get on down the list chance that you're going to end up at that place. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree 100% with that. So what about, you know, we talked about the candidates. How many programs get matched to in phase one? So Sean, if we look at the phase one in 2021 of for the programs, if you look on that sheet and you scroll down to look at the match results, um, you can see that there are 3,741 positions that were filled. So we already know that. But if you look at the unfilled positions, uh, there's 282. So that's a little bit different from the previous line, which just looks at programs. They might have multiple positions that were unfilled. So if you look at that, that's a a little over 4,000 positions that were available. So out of all of that, 282 is about 7%. So I'd say the majority of positions get filled. So you're you're leaving about, you know, roughly 300 positions that are going to be filled. And those are the positions that you're going to be looking at in phase two if they choose to pursue that. So just kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. And that's all, all positions. That's That may be things you're not interested or, or are not part of your career goals. Like these might be... And, and often, because we've been reviewing the the unmatched program list for the last, what, like seven years? So there's always several PGY-1 pharmacy practice residencies, but there's, a, there's proportionally more of these like managed care type residencies and these more uh, niche type residencies than w- were available in the overall. Uh, they have a higher proportion of the unmatched programs because they're not as desirable Sometimes they're a little bit, they don't have as high of an applicant pool. It's harder to get people to do them. So it's, it's not, it's not like we're talking about 282 pharmacy practice, hospital-based residency programs. It's a lot less than that. Yeah. And I think, you you know, you just, that's can help you filter this a little bit faster. So you just look at all of the programs that meet your needs. So maybe if you're, if let's say you're interested in a community pharmacy residency, there'll be a select handful of, of those types of programs. Or if you're looking for a um, children's hospital, uh, maybe that's a smaller percentage of it as well. But I think this is also kind of highlights the opportunity or 
need for you to reevaluate and kind of think about, let's say if I only applied to pediatric hospitals and I, and I want to do a pediatric residency eventually, maybe you can consider doing a, a pharmacy practice residency at a primarily adult hospital that maybe has some rotations in pediatrics and then go on to pursue a PGY2 in pediatrics. And so you maybe just expand your horizons a little bit. Um, you have to be a little bit more flexible, I think, in, in phase two, if you're thinking about these characteristics. Yeah, I like that point. And the last thing I want to say about about these is the mutual rankings that they put on here. Back to what you, we, you were talking about earlier with a student who is wondering, should I, should I rank every program I interviewed at just to help my chances? So when we look at the number of mutual rankings versus the number of rankings that programs submit, we see that 93% of the people that the programs rank, rank them back. So there's only 7% of candidates that don't rank a program when that program ranks them. And that's a really small number. And with us going back to the whole you know, 8% with 80% of candidates get their first, who match, get their first or second choice. It's just, it's extremely rare that you not ranking a program will turn out to be that program ranking you. And that could have been a potential match. Cause if you're not feeling that fuzzy feeling, they probably weren't too. And this statistic just shows us that historically you candidates usually rank a a program that they feel good about and that program ranks those those good fit type of interactions i totally agree sean i think you you articulated that really well so well, thank you do you <laughs> so do you have any just last minute advice or, or things that you know from this discussion that our listeners can take away what do you think well, the last thing I just want to say quickly is when, when we look at phase two, it, they match almost 100% at that rate. By the time phase two goes through, most programs are done. So the post phase two match, there's just not a lot left. So we, we I highly suggest by then you're you're thinking about alternatives. And, and of course, we have other episodes that talk about that in detail. So check those out. Um, but it's just not beneficial to really keep pushing past phase two unless there's a you just get lucky with a program that you know close by. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So good luck to everybody out there, especially those who are going through it. For those who are getting ready for APPs and in, in, in getting ready for that process, you know, you've got you've got a lot of time still left. Don't forget to check out our, our website, postgraduatepharmacist.com. We'll link it in the show notes below. And if you want, support us through uh, either buy us a cup of coffee, or if, if you're interested, buy some of our merch that we dropped using the promo code SASO, S-A-S-O. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.